you're not a mega church, but thank God you're not a mega church. Um, my husband died, and I was watching him breathe his last breath. And I thought, well, my life's over, and I'm fantasizing without even realizing it, getting a big bowl and putting all his pain medicines in there because he never took them, and getting a big spoon and just going on to heaven with him. We've been married 44 years. My life was going to be over. Is it? Hello, testing. Well, I'm loud, so it's okay. It's okay. I'm just... Oh, you did. Oh, my goodness. Got to be uptown here. So, I'm watching him breathe his last, and all of a sudden I heard a voice say, you're going to have adventures with me. And poof, that little imagination left me, and I said, okay, Lord, any door you open up, I'm going to walk through it. Of course, then India bugged me for weeks. Have you thrown those medicines away? Have you thrown them away? <laughs> yes, India, I threw them away. Praise God. I thought Adventures with God was going to be, oh, there it is. It's going to be like a few aglow meetings. And I was in the middle of the desert riding a uh, camel, and the lady in front of me is from Mountain Brook, and she's real ritzy, and this was not on her agenda, camel riding. And, uh, the camel behind's trying to mate with my camel, and my camel's turned around going, trying to bite him, and my leg happened to be there. And all of a sudden, I got hilariously tickled, and the lady in front of me says, what you laughing at? And I said, we're in the middle of a desert on a camel. This is funny, you know. So then it dawned on me, oh, adventures. So then I decided, instead of going into a deep swirl of depression and wanting to die, I would just look at everything in my life, good, bad, and the ugly, as an adventure. He told me I was going to have adventures, so I said, okay, everything that happens is an adventure. I'd be in the airport. French airport was the worst. Full, full, full. We're t we've changed, and we're not going to tell you. We've changed the gate. And so you're running through the airport, and I'm going, Lord, this is an adventure, but it's not fun. And I started thinking about adventures. You know, when they uh, discovered America, and they were pioneers. Hey, Lou. Um, it went all fun. They had bad weather. They had Indians. But wow, they, they had a whole nation that they built. And you'll be telling somebody about something that happened to you in the past, and they'll go, oh, that was so fun. And at the time, you were going, ah. But after it's over and you're telling about it, it was fun, you know. So everything in my life is an adventure. I don't care what happens. It's an adventure. And uh, after Jay died, he was so good, he did everything for me. He pumped gas, and I was, I'm not a dummy, I was a nurse, but he just did everything for me. So I was calling the bank to even see if I had enough money to bury him. I didn't even know what we had. And um, the lady at the bank said, well, you seem a little down, Miss Ferguson. So I said, well, my husband just died 30 minutes ago. And she said, well, thus says the Lord God, you didn't die, he did. You go into the life with him. I said, thank you, and I hung up, and my daughter went, Mother, a teller gave you a word of knowledge? And I said, yes. You know. So then I'd never paid bills, so I'm paying bills. And the Sprint bill was like seven times what it should be. So I called them up, and they explained to me that I'd been on hold, ranging all this stuff for Jay, and I'd gone like super above all my minutes. So I said, okay, thank you. And I just started bawling. And by the way, when I share, I just share the real. Don't you hate it when somebody shares, and everything's wonderful and fabulous, and you go, well, good for you, you know. So I hung up the phone, and I just said, God, I can't do this. i got to have a husband. I don't know how. You know, when I cry, it's not pretty. 
And uh, all of a sudden, ring, 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 the phone rang, and it was Sprint. And they said, we didn't realize your husband had died. We're going to take all those overages off. And so it was a little thing, but it was a way God was saying, I got you. I'm going to take care of you. I've got you. And this is what he spoke to me, and latch on to this because it's life-changing. If you fall, I'll pick you up. If you miss it, I'll find you. And if you mess it up, I'll clean it up. What freedom that gives you. That even if you screw up, he's going to take care of it. He'll, sit, he'll meet you where you are. So my sons had come live with me in Israel. I lived there for three years. And adventures, adventures, adventures. It was the craziest place I've ever been in my life. I loved it, but they wouldn't let me stay. I tried to get a permanent visa. They said, no way. I took my makeup off and wore the ugliest clothes I had and tried to be real decrepit. And because uh, I'm a widow and this is my only son, nah, they weren't buying it. <laughs> so they, were, they don't feel sorry for you there for anything. You don't complain about anything there. They go, oh, you're having a bad day? How about the Holocaust? <laughs> so <laughs> I've been married for 44 years, and every day we reach over and pet each other and hug each other and get ready for life. And I automatically just reach over there, and he's not there. And so one day, the grief was so heavy on me in Israel, and I knew that nobody would feel sorry for me. So I got up, and I just started walking down the road in Jerusalem. And I just said, Lord, and once again, I'm squalling and bawling. And I said, uh, people say you're my husband now. I'm not trying to be rude, but I don't get that. Are they misinterpreting it? Are they taking it out of context? And I had sandals on, it was summer, and I felt something on my toe, and I looked down, and it was this wedding ring. So I picked it up and put it on, and I said, okay, you're my husband. And it's got the Shema on there, you know, Hero Israel, the Lord that God is one. So that started my adventures. I just, everything that happened, I saved and saved up money to take my granddaughter out to eat in Jerusalem. It's like New York on crack, it's so expensive. So we were out eating, and I noticed this lady was leaning over listening to me and my granddaughter talk about the Lord. So when we got through with our meal, she said, would you like to come to my house for Shabbat and talk to me about this? So I said, okay. So Kobe looked her dress up. She lived in a nice area, so I took her some wine and went to Shabbat. Everybody there is orthodox but me, and I don't know what I'm doing, you know. And... Um, so I didn't get to witness to the group, but I got to witness to her. And many times she would go out for coffee, and she would ask me questions, and I got to share with her. Well, she recently, Purim, it's where they dress up as characters. And uh, she said, this is an Orthodox lady. She sent me a picture of her dressed up for Purim as Wonder Woman. And she's my age. <laughs> it was hilarious, but that was another adventure. So we're, we're stay I've got a picture of her, but I, I'll show you privately. But... Um, <laughs> It's a trip. And she says, don't tell my husband. Don't tell him, you know. And she took a selfie and all that. Praise God. But many, every time I rode the bus, things would happen. I'd have all kinds of adventures. Everybody rides the bus there, rich, poor, everything. Because when Kobe first told me I had to ride the bus, I was like, I'm going to ride the bus. You don't care about your mother. But it was adventures. It was fun. We had a good time. And if ever um, an Orthodox even looked at me, I just considered that as an opportunity to witness, because they're not even supposed to look at the going, you know. And the bus can have be packed and have one seat, and they won't sit next to you. So one day, this Orthodox lady sat next to me, and she said, you know the Messiah's coming. I said, oh, yes, he's coming back. And she said, back? 
So we got to all the way I got to share with her, you know, and we, we had a good time. But things like that would just happen every day. It was so exciting. And I would just sit in the coffee, my favorite coffee house, Aroma. By the way, Starbucks can't, didn't make it there. They don't like it. They're real particular on their coffee. And I would sit there on the outside and just pray for people as they're walking up and down the streets of Jerusalem. And your heart will just break, you know. And uh, this man tapped me on my shoulder. And he said, I perceive that you're a woman of God. He said, and you're praying, aren't you? And he said, can I pray with you? And I said, well, okay. And I took him up to meet Kobe. And come to find out, he had gone to Brownsville School of Revival. He had a ministry in North Carolina. And he said, if you ever come to the States again, come to my church and minister. So that's how I got to meet this minister in Boone, North Carolina. And I would go uh, during the summers and minister. Well, when the government of Israel said you can't stay, and when they say you can't stay, you've got to leave immediately. So they said, you can't stay, you've got to leave, like, tomorrow. So I'm crying and squalling and bawling again, saying, Lord, what do I do? Where do I go? What do I do? Ring, 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 the phone rang, and it's this minister from North Carolina. North Carolina. He said, I believe God wants you to come and help us in this prayer ministry up here and get it started. Do you think you could pray about coming to live up here? And I said, how about tomorrow? And he said, okay. <laughs> you know, I'll find you a place to live. And they picked me up at the airport and took me to Boone. And I've been there for two years. And they, we have a prayer ministry here. It's called Appalachian House of Prayer at Pop. And you've probably heard of IHOP, International House of Prayer. Well, it's under that same venue. And... Uh, God has just done crazy things there. Like we have, our youngest is two, on up to college students, to older people. And those little, that little two-year-old prays. She gets on the floor, put a map on the floor, and she'll pray over, we're praying over Uganda right now. And we Skype with the kids in Uganda, and they're praying for our kids, and we're praying for their kids. And these kids don't have anything. They don't have shoes. They have a stick, you know. And so then we'll raise money and send them shoes. But the other day, this little kid was praying and worshiping God. And the lady next to me said, she's just mimicking what she sees adults do. And the Holy Spirit inside of me got mad. And this is what he told her. And I went and reported it to the pastor because I knew she was going to tell on me. But the first person to worship and recognize Jesus was an unborn child in Elizabeth's womb. He leapt when Jesus came. So don't tell me that the Holy Spirit cannot move in a child. In fact, I think that that's why the enemy is aborting and trying to kill all these children. The next move of God is going to be children. They're innocent. They have no hidden agendas. Oh, you want me? Oh, you need to be healed. Let me pray for you. You know, they're just innocent. They just believe. And the Holy Spirit is not a baby Holy Spirit in them and an old Holy Spirit in me. The Holy Spirit is powerful. And I've seen children... We, we give them respect. We tell them, are you getting anything in the spirit? Did you have a dream? Anything like that. They'll get up in the middle of the night and go and lay hands on their parents and pray for them that are not really close to the Lord. And, and they'll come and they'll say, you know, this one little girl, she's in kindergarten. Susie's never happy. There must be something bad happening in her family. Can I fast and pray for her? And I said, oh, well, let's talk to your mama, sweetheart. You know? <laughs> but, you know, it's just that kind of thing that God is moving there. And um, I love making connections. And so I read on Facebook that there's a house of prayer in West Virginia. So I, and he writes real eloquently. So I messaged him and I said, uh, could I use some of your phrases 
that you use. You write so well. And he said, oh, sure. And he said, why don't you come up here? So seven hours I drove up there. And they're having a revival. 30 churches got together to just pray. And they're praying for the Appalachians. From The Appalachians started uh, Alabama, Birmingham, and go all the way up to New York. And there's 12 states along the Appalachians. They had a vision, and my pastor did too, which is so weird. They had a vision, don't know my pastor, and he had a vision of fires all up the Appalachians of houses of prayer, holding back the evil that's trying to come on America. So he said, we've got something, you know, right before the service, he came to me and he said, you know, let's get together and pray for the services. We've got somebody to pray for every state on these 12 states except Alabama. And I said, I'm from Alabama. So he just went out in the spirit almost. He was like, well, because he thought I was from North Carolina. So we've connected with him. I brought him down to connect with my pastor. And then unbeknownst to all of us, there's a brand new prayer house here. It's in um, Mountain Brook. They contacted him. He went down to Birmingham to that prayer. I mean, it's just awesome how. And then this guy calls me up from here in Birmingham at Mountain Brook. Has a, it's called the Jesus House of Prayer. And he said, you don't remember me, do you? I had friended him on Facebook because another friend said, this guy's anointed, you would like to be his friend. So then he calls, he said, why did you friend me on Facebook? And I said, well, Candy Collier said you were a great guy. And so I just, and he said, you don't remember me, do you? And I said, no. And he said, you and your husband helped me at the darkest time of my life during the Brownsville Revival. You gave me money, you prayed for me, you helped me, and I don't even remember him. And he said, I got a word. I don't know if you ever know a prophet called Johnny Foote, but he's the real deal. Well, he had come recently to this guy's uh, here in Birmingham and told him, he said, God wants you to start a house of prayer. And he said, God had already told him that, but he was wondering, is this just my imagination, you know? And the prophet said, somebody from your past is going to contact you, and that will be a sign to you that go ahead and start this prayer ministry. And it was me. I would contacted him. So I spoke there last night, and um, it was awesome. Praise God. Then we're starting to get the college students to come. There's 18,000 college students at App State, and Boone has 19,000. So it's small. We have one Walmart, one theater, you know. I love it. It's wonderful. Up in the mountains, it's gorgeous. Come. I'll put y'all all up. I have friends that will put y'all up. I'm serious. You're just laughing at me. Come. And uh, I clean the, the prayer room. That's one of my, I do little jobs to make money for gas and stuff because I live on Social Security. But uh, as I was going outside to sweep, the windows were covered with blood and feathers and powder and there's a lot of witches up there. It's the high country. They go up there and they do their sacrifices. You can go and see their little fires and bones of whatever. And so I knew immediately that we were being attacked. And so I got the team. They came out. I was so proud of them. They knew exactly what to do. And we did everything. And one of the team members said, I think there's something missing that we're supposed to do. And I said, well, let's pray about it. The next day, a prophet from Alabama came up there and said, God wants you to do this and this and this. And so we did it. It's like the little guy in Jerusalem when I asked him if I could pray for him. He said, well, it couldn't hoit. So when she told us what to do, I said, well, it couldn't hoit. It wasn't unbiblical. So we did it. And uh, what was funny is the uh, college students were going like, yay, we're being 
persecuted. Witches know where we are. Yeah. And we were having to say, okay, calm down a little bit, you know. And <laughs> that's what I think God is going to do with the young people, the little children. and the, uh, There's got the zeal. And then we'll be able to kind of reel them in a little. Say, that's great. You just don't wish, worship naked, you know, or whatever weird thing they're doing. Because they don't have wisdom yet. But they have the desire, the zeal, the hunger, the zoomph to go for it. So anyway, we're having fun. And um, then, one time I told somebody, I said, my life is crazy. And I heard the Holy Spirit say, crazy wonderful. So I said, yes, sir. I apologize. Crazy wonderful. I had a lady that travels with me. And she said, I used to think you made stories up. And she said, but I saw this and this and this happened on this trip, you know. Well, there's a group of Hindus up there for some reason like me. There's a big ashram up there on the top of the mountain where this Hindu comes from India, there's, and it'll seat a 1,000 people. It's huge and beautiful. Well, they asked me to come to a ladies' group and talk to them. And I said, now, you know that I'm a Christian. They said, yeah. But see, that's what's so hard to witness to a Hindu. Oh, this podium gets you close to God? Great. That dog gets you close to God? Wonderful. Jesus gets you close to God? Great. You know, so when you witness to them, they're like, oh, that's wonderful. You know, so, but they don't, you know, everything goes with a Hindu. They've got a gazillion gods. So I went and met with them, and I said, Lord, what do I do? How do I minister to these people? He said, just be you. So I went and I tell them my God stories. They laugh, they have fun, and they say, come back. So I come back again. The last time I went, though, I was like, oh, Jesus, please don't make me go back. These people are driving me crazy. Moonshine sunbeam. The last time I came in, she said, oh. Your aura is yummy. <laughs> and I was just like, I can't take this, God. <laughs> Your and we're apologizing. They'd start the meeting out. We're going to apologize. Everybody go home and apologize to your microwaves because we know that you put out bad energy toward them when they burn the food. And I was just like, God, I can't take this. And so then I said, okay, I'll be obedient and I'll come and just share. And I tell them, I say, now, you know that I don't believe what you guys believe because you think this is God. That's God. The tree's God. But you know, it's really hard to have a personal relationship with a tree. And they'll just laugh. They think that's funny. They'll laugh. You know, and I'm just as serious. And I'm saying, you know, there's a heaven and you know, there's a hell. I know that y'all don't believe that. But hey, who's going to be in trouble if they're wrong? And they'll just say, oh, you're so funny. But um, so I don't know why God has me there. Then I got a call from a lady in Africa that they've had a ministry there for 30 years. And she said, can you come over here in Kenya, Africa, and help us, teach us how to pray? So I said, whatever, God, you open that up and I'm going. They're waiting for some money to come through. The government there is Muslim and they're, you know, holding up all their funds. But you know how I teach people to pray? Hey, let's pray. That's how I teach them to pray. Now, there's guidelines I can teach them and stuff, but you do it by doing it. It's a personal relationship with the Lord. It's not a rules or a prayer book, although those are good guidelines. You pray, and that's how you learn to pray. You just do it. How do you learn how to have a relationship with somebody? You just get together with them and talk to them and learn. Hallelujah. And the way I do it might be different than you. I like to be real emotional. And then there's times when I want to just be still. There's times when I want to bawl and squall. I mean, you just have a personal relationship with, an abs with a being. 
We are in a covenant with a being who is there. I'm going to talk a few minutes about that. Then the prayers are being answered. Have you ever seen somebody step on the head of a snake and the snake still rise around although it's dead? That's what's happening with an enemy in our nation and in our own personal lives. He is furious and he's running around scared. They still can't believe you know who is not president. They're just furious. But he's trying to make you think you're the idiot. It'll never happen, those words you got. And right before it happens, you've given up. Now, I know I'm taking this scripture out of context, but the scripture is so multifaceted, it can have a lot of meanings. When it says, those who hold on to the end shall be saved, I know that's talking about revelation, the end times. But it can also be you holding on to what God's told you, you'll be saved. The God has been speaking to us about a tipping point, a tipping point. Remember that little bird that used to put his head in the water and he would go down and come back up? There's a tipping point to where one more prayer one more time, and boom, there's a tipping point. I experienced that. I've heard people teach on that, and it would make me so mad because I would think, well, that hasn't happened to me. Something I was believing for, totally impossible. I can't change it. It was a bad situation. I can't change it. I've tried. I can't fix it. It's impossible. And all my counselors and friends said, just give up. Just quit. It's impossible. So I did, and I just took it to the Lord and Thanksgiving Day, boom, it was solved. Something that's totally impossible one day and the next day it's solved. You can't change people's lives, so that was God. So I'm telling you, there's a tipping point coming. Hallelujah. And just to encourage you, I, my children always say I'm a little loosey-goosey with facts, so I'm trying to be real careful. NBC just reported that a massive pedophilia ring online was discovered and they're prosecuting 70,000 men hallelujah he God is moving in answers to our prayers and I've never seen so much prayer in my life I'm on there's four different prayer chains going around that and that's just that I know about national prayer chains and of where there's hundreds of thousands of people praying I've just never seen anything like it. And God is moving in response to our prayers. Um, we're starting a healing room. That's the new thing that we're doing. So that people can just come, soak, and be ministered to for healing. Um, I don't know about you, but the breakings of the Lord have been very intense this last two years. The hardest year of my life was uh, 2017. The anxiety, I've never experienced that kind of warfare, that kind of anxiety. Uh, and the thing that I believe the Lord's trying to do is he's trying to cleanse the doors of our perception. I don't know if you've ever heard of Mark Sharona. I'm not real crazy about him, but he has a really good teaching on God cleansing the way you see things. The way the move, the new move of God is not going to be like a Browns revival. It's not going to be like a Toronto revival where it comes and goes. It's going to be where this is what God's heart is. He wants to come and dwell and it to change the whole society like it did in the Wales revival, the Hebrides revival, to change the society. Only way that's going to happen is when the glory of God comes. The glory of God is not going to come on us if we're going out Saturday night partying and then Sunday we go, praise Jesus. We're the miracles, like it's God's fault. 
as we let God cleanse the way we see everything and sit with him in our disappointments, sit with him in our pain and our griefs, you just sit with the Lord. We did an experiment where for one month, everybody for one hour would just sit with God privately, you know. We had the word there. We didn't listen to music. We just sat with God. And we just talked to him. We would just say, I'm hurting. Or show me anything in my life that's messed up. Now, you can't go around digging it up, you know, navel gazing. You'll get into big trouble. But show me. You know I don't know what I'm doing. Or I'm hurt and I've got this problem or this disappointment. And you sit with God. But we are slaves to the natural. We can't see, hear, feel it. It's not real to us. I have people say, well, I sat with God for an hour and nothing happened. So I'm not doing it again. You don't know what happened to the spirit realm. You're so fleshly thinking about what you can see, feel, and hear. You do one thing in obedience to God, you don't know what it does in the spirit realm. If we could see in the spirit realm, first of all, we'd be freaked out. But secondly, there's things that one person can change a whole society. Daniel changed the whole nation by seeking God. The enemy's a liar. Oh, there's going to take thousands of people, and the nation will never change. You know there's three heavens. The third heaven is where God lives. The second heaven is where the demonic activity is. And then our heavens, our first, our atmosphere here. Now, if something comes down here into my territory, I can take it on. But I don't go up to the second heaven and try to deal with principalities and stuff. You know, that's inappropriate. And I have to stop people all the time in the prayer set to try to do that. But God doesn't want us to say what's being said in the second heaven through the news media or whatever. It'll never change. America's going down. The president needs to resign. That second heaven mess. We need to speak what God is saying through his word. What are his plans and purposes? Let's speak that. We know bad things are happening. But I had to quit listening to almost every... Uh, there's only one person that, I, that God allows me to listen to that's prophetic because it was so negative. How is there any hope? Then I just give up, you know, if you listen to them. No, I can't do it. I can't watch the news. I'm going to speak what the third heaven is saying. Praise God. Um, I want to read this to you. You guys know Lynn DeShazo? Well, she sent this to me. Changing your perception, the way you see things, is what I'm talking about. This is a letter from a North Dakota kid to their parents. Dear Mom and Pa, I'm well, hope you are. Tell Brother Walton, Brother Elmer, the Marine Corps beats working for old man Minch by a mile. Tell them to join up quick before all the places are filled. I was restless at first because you get to stay in bed till nearly 6 a.m. But I'm getting, so I like to sleep late. Tell Walton Elmer all you have to do before breakfast is smooth your cot, shine some things, no hogs to slop, feed to itch, mash to mix, wood to split, fire to lay, practically nothing. Men got to shave, but it's not so bad. There's warm water. Breakfast is strong on trimmings like fruit juice, cereal, eggs, bacon, etc., but kind of weak on chops, potatoes, ham, steak, fried eggplant, pie, and other regular food. But tell Walt and Elmer you can always sit by the two city boys that live on coffee. Their food plus yours holds you until noon when you get to feed again. It's no wonder these city boys can't walk much. 
We go on routine marches, which the platoon sergeant says are long walks to harden us up. If he thinks so, it's not my place to tell him different. A routine march is about as far as to our mailbox at home. Then the city guys get sore feet, and we all get back in the truck and ride. The sergeant's like a school teacher. He nags a lot. The captain's like a school board. Majors and colonels just ride around and frown. They don't bother you none. The next will kill Walt and Elmer with laughing. I keep getting medals for shooting. I don't know why. The bullseye's near as big as a chipmunk's head, and it don't move. And it ain't shooting at you like the Higgett brothers at home. All you got to do is lie there all comfortable and hit it. You don't even load your own cartridges. They come in boxes. Then we have what they call hand-to-hand -hand combat training. You get to wrestle with them city boys. I have to be real careful, though. They break real easy. It ain't like fighting with that old bull at home. I'm about the best they got in this, except that old Tug Jordan from over in Silver Lake. I only beat him once. He joined up the same time as me, but I'm only five foot six and 130 pounds, and he's 6'8", nearly 300 pounds dry. Be sure to tell Walt and Elmer to hurry and join before other fellows get onto this setup and come stampeding in. Your loving daughter, Alice. <laughs> so that's changing the perception. She saw the Marines a little bit different. Hallelujah, hallelujah. God is wanting us, he's wanting a remnant to show his glory on the earth. We know this. It's been prophesied. But we think, oh, we'll learn a method. We'll wear, get Father Glenn to wear some tight jeans and say man a lot. And, and India will come in with her jeans all torn. And we'll have strobe lights and smoke and mirrors. And that'll make a mega church. God is looking for people who will get alone and get real with him so that his glory can come. His glory can come. And he will have it. And it's going to be a remnant. I looked up remnant one time. Remnant on the Bolton material is 1% to 2%. So it isn't a big number. How do we see the invisible, hear the unspoken? How do, how do we let God enable us to get into the spirit realm and to see and to understand and not be so earthly slaves to the earthbound? How do we do that? And it's by him changing the way we see things. Him deconstructing us. In Isaiah 6, Isaiah was cousin to King Uzziah. And King Uzziah was a really good king. Except he did something unforgivable. He went, only the Kohanim, only the, the Levites, I mean uh, the priests are to go into the Holy of Holies and minister to God. Well, Uzziah just went himself. And I thought, well, God, you're a little strict. He gave him leprosy and he died. But it would be like Father Glenn getting up and saying, you know, you don't have to go through Jesus to get to God. This was the way God had showed them how to get to him. And this guy just comes in, tells the whole nation, I'll forget it. I'm going to do it. So it was very serious and God couldn't let it go. So Isaiah was in grief, it says in the scripture, for a year. He would walk by that throne room where the king was supposed to be. It says that they counseled together. They had ideas. He was going to be a reformer for Israel. And now he's dead. And he was in grief. And he says in the year, Isaiah 6, in the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. God took him up to where the true throne room is, where the true authority is. 
We can't depend upon the Republican Party, Trump, whoever, the Democratic Party, whoever you're for, to change. It's going to be God is going to change things through the, from, to answer the prayers of his people. It's not going to be a man that's going to do it. It's going to be God. So God was showing Isaiah, this is the way things are. He got up there and it says, I saw the Lord and he was high and lifted up. And his train filled the temple. And we know that when a king conquered another king, they would take part of their robe and sew it under their robe. So the longer the king's robe is, the more authority he had. Well, this king, everywhere you looked in the temple, the purple robe was. There was no place where God didn't have authority and, and wasn't in charge. It was the most awesome, fearfully awesome place. Here were these four living creatures, the seraphim, which are 100 feet tall. They're burning creatures. God is so creative. He loves a lot of different weird things. And they are like serpentine, like a dragon, except they're beautiful. They're not like the fallen dragons that we see. One's at the north, one's at the south, one's at the east, one's at the west. And they cry out, holy, holy, holy. And then the one from the south says, his whole, the whole earth is being filled with his glory. The one on the north cries out, holy, 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 he's so holy. The one on the south cries out, and the whole earth is being filled with his glory. And because they're burning creatures, smoke is coming out of their mouth. It's filling the temple. This is the most awesome place. When he says that God is holy, they're guarding the glory of God. The man in that glory was holy. Holy doesn't mean God doesn't smoke, chew, or go with girls that do, you know. It means he's other. Holy is other. He's other. He's other than what you ever conceived of. That man in that glory was other than what Isaiah had ever thought about. And he said, woe is me, I'm undone. This is not anything like I thought it was. You're not anything like I thought. I'm not who I thought. What, who am I? I'm unclean. When we get to that point in our lives, when we say, I'm going to quit having an idol of what I think God is like. We make this idol of him what we project on him, what we think he ought to be like. And then he's not like that and we get really mad or disappointed. God, you have to come to God the way he says come to him. He's in charge. And when we teach these people to get along with the Lord, he's not going to interrupt your TV. He's not going to interrupt your games. You're going to have to stop it and get along with him. He is God. When I was in Israel, the uh, Western Wall, you don't just walk away from the Western Wall. You walk away like this because it's the last place the Jews knew that the presence of God was close to. When you go see Queen Elizabeth, you don't just turn your back and walk away. You reverence and walk away like this. There's protocol that God has in his word of how to come to him. We're talking about a being who's real. This is not just platitudes. And when he said this and said, I am undone, one of the seraphims left, took a coal, put it on his lips, and cleansed him. Why his lips? Because out of your heart, your mouth speaks. I've gotten along with the Lord this past year. Like I said, 2017 was the hardest year of my life. Things that I didn't know were in me came out. Things I would have sworn to you, oh, that's not a problem in my life. <laughs> getting along with the Lord, getting it out, confessing it, letting him cleanse me.
praise the name of the Lord. Having eyes we don't see, having ears we don't hear, we don't have an understanding heart. How are we going to get there? How are we going to get there? God is not anything like what we think he is. It's the tendency of humans to project onto God what we want him to be. We have to come to God on our terms. And Isaiah was going through a process of being uh, what they call in psychology deconstructed. And it's not a bad thing. To where you say, I don't know even who I am. Show me, God, what you want. I did that and I said, Lord, what was Israel all about? Why am I here? What, what is this all about? And he spoke to me and he said, you're going to be a full-time prayer minister. And you're going to minister to me first and then to whoever I bring to you. So I was just like, praise God, that's who I am. And that's what my ministry is, is right now. Praise God. This is what the Lord spoke to me about what's coming. And it's not just me. Many, many people are hearing this. That the greatest, most sovereign, most electrifying move of God is coming. The gifts are going to come pinpoint sharp. But how is that going to come? Is it going to come on a people who just go to a church and look at the back of everybody's head and then leave? It's going to come on a people who are a remnant, who get along with the Lord, who are real with him and say, change me. See if there's any wicked way in me, God. Here I am. I don't know what I'm doing. Come. If God doesn't say anything to you, you just come back again. You don't know what's happening in the spirit realm. One day, I was when I first moved there, I was in a friend's cabin. It was the cutest little thing, but it was a little bitty cabin. And I'd been fasting and seeking God, desperate, praying for him about the finances. Nothing. I heard nothing. I felt nothing. I saw nothing. Nothing. So that night when I broke the fast, I just started crying. I just said, do you even know I'm here? Do you even know me? Are you even there? And all of a sudden, I remembered something from when I was five years old. I'd never thought about this before. I've never had this memory. I was an abused child, and they would beat me and put me to bed, and I'd put the cover over my head, and I would say, I wish I was a bear in a cave with a roaring fire and some hot tea and some cookies like those animals in that book, you know, uh, Wind in the Willows. You know, my aunt used to read that to me. And poof, it left me, and I looked, and this lady, this cabin that I was in, every square inch had bears. And here's this roaring fire. I have some hot tea and some cookies sitting by me. I just started crying. I said, Lord, you remembered a desire from a five-year-old child? You know me. You know me, and you're going to meet my heart's needs and desires. That's how intimate he is with us. The, the fear of God is coming upon nations. I'm telling y'all, if you... Look at anything that's happening. It's worldwide what's happening now. People in other countries are going, wearing those red hats, make Venezuela great again. I mean, you know, it's a worldwide thing that God is doing. But he's holy, holy, holy. The church is going to have to come into this fear of the Lord and getting before him before the world is. What's going to happen when, every, when he told Isaiah to go back? He said, I'm sending you. He said, who's going to go for me? Who will I send and who will go for us? And that us is not just the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's the whole counsel of God. Who will I send? That's God Almighty. And who will go for us? 
And Isaiah, after he's cleansed, he says, I will. Who will tell the whole earth of my glory? He says, I will. And he says, okay, I'm going to send you to a people who are just as blind as you are, have just as many idols as you did. And he goes, well, how long do I have to do that? And he says, until everything that they're trusting in crumbles. When that happens in our America, in our churches, there'll be church people, things are crumbling. You'll be able to say, let me tell you how to get into the presence of God. Let me tell you why that doesn't matter that you lost your house or your car because they're ready to kill themselves over a car and a house. Let me tell you what really matters. But we've got to have that first before we can share it and help them. Father God, I just thank you that you're holy. And I just want to say thank you. I just want to say thank you. Praise God. I have some words. Hallelujah. And then afterwards, if anybody wants me to um, pray with them or anything, I'll be glad to.